whether or not like you sell your CDs in a trash bag or like a really nice like gift bag, that's both our branding. Welcome to the Thriving Musician Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with musician, speaker, and consultant Spencer List to hear stories of how professional musicians navigated the inevitable financial challenges that arise on the path to creative freedom and get insight from industry professionals on how to break through to the next level of your finances, career, and art. Now, here's your host, Spencer List. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Thriving Musician Podcast. Today, I have the most special guest that I could imagine in my fiance, Jordan Coffing. She is a vocalist and educator. She also plays guitar and piano. She scores films, which we'll talk about. She's an amazing songwriter. And we met at North Texas studying jazz together. So she's also a highly trained musician and has been through a lot of the rigmarole of being a professional musician. And we have conversations about this practically daily. And so some of the things that she says to me in passing or just in conversation, I think you need to hear. And we probably won't get to all of it today. But I think that you will enjoy her insight and her perspective. So welcome to the podcast, Jordan Coffing. Hello, that was a nice intro. Thanks. You're welcome. Love you. Love you. <laughs> so we're actually in the same room, and normally I do these online because most people don't live here. So we're actually just in our office, <laughs> just facing each other. Soup's intimate. The air conditioning is off. <laughs> it's so. very cozy. It's <laughs> Texas really hot. summer. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there's a lot that we can talk about, but first for listeners who don't know who you are. Can you give us a little more background of who you are musically and financially and what has led you to this point? And maybe you can explain a little bit more of what you're doing now too as well. Sure. Okay. So musically, um, so I grew up in Los Angeles and I grew up in a musical family. My dad is a producer and in the industry more so now. Um, so I always grew up around musicians and I never questioned that that wasn't going to be my path. I, ever since Disney was a thing, I was singing. I loved singing and I always said that I was going to be a musician because I just didn't see a reason why I wouldn't be. So, um, childhood, I was really involved in musical theater productions. I did a lot of that and choir, like I did all the competitive choir you could do, um, and then when we moved, when I was in high school to Houston, I originally wasn't really happy about it because coming from California to Texas, it's a little bit of a transition, especially when you're like in eighth grade is really when I moved. Um, so that was a bit, I would say a little bit traumatic for me. Um, but my high school experience was amazing. I went to the Performing Arts High School in Houston, HSPVA. And it was wonderful. I covet those experiences even more than college, I think. And I learned a lot musically there. I was trained both classically and I was in like the pop and show choir things. And that time period is where I was in um, guitar lessons. And my teacher at the time introduced me to jazz. And my first vocalist that I ever heard was Carmen McRae. And she's like a major alto, which 
I'm an alto as well. So I was really fascinated by her voice. And then from there, I loved Nina Simone and all these other jazz artists. So that's what led me to go study jazz at the University of North Texas, where we met. (laughs) And then uh, post-grad, I had original music that I had written and been playing with a band while at school. And I decided I wanted to go through an artist name. So I have settled on the artist name Rue, which is like a childhood nickname. You know that because you helped me come up with it. Mm-hmm. And I recorded an album that I have yet to like officially release for reasons that I think we'll get into later. Um, but so I record original music and I perform under that artist name. Um, beyond that, I've taught a lot, uh, voice, piano and guitar and songwriting. And now, as you mentioned, for the first time, I'm scoring a film. It's an independent film, and I've been really excited about it, and I've already learned so much. It's kind of feeding all of the things that I like creatively, and um, it's just a whole new experience. So I love everything about it thus far, because I was already getting into recording more and producing things for myself. So this is kind of... Um, getting thrown into the fire of it. And I love it a lot right now. So that's pretty much caught up musically. Um, Financially, I don't really know where to start or say with that. I will say, we can talk more about it, but I will say I was not, I had a really negative money mindset and really negative viewpoints towards money the, you know, whatever, the wealth stigma situation, I really, I was very negative. I am a person who had, has, you know, college debt, and I worked my ass off all the way through college. I was always, I waited tables. I took a gap year in between uh, high school and college to save money for college, because I come from a big family. I have, you know, there's four of us, and one of my siblings is special needs, so it's a little bit complicated financially with my Mm -hmm. family so they didn't really have the resources to pay for my school so I was a little bit you know I love my parents and they did everything they can but I you know felt you know just money was not a great thing for me I feel like I always was working super super hard and sweating to get it and then losing it right away so I feel like I had that um, mentality so I just really didn't think no abundance mindset, you know, any of that. And that is something that, you know, upon meeting you and you've really helped me with. And in my own research, I really have done a lot of work on myself to help break those barriers mm-hmm. and to think more positively and cultivate more of an abundance mindset. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I'm for sure not done with that work, but I'm continuing to. Yeah, it's not overnight. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's like years and years, you know. How has your relationship with money affected your relationship with music? So my relationship, I think, with money and music ties to this specific other thing in that my confidence. Mm. So my relationship with myself is really the first step to both of those things, I mm-hmm. think. And I went through this past couple of years, I'll say, like after graduating school, really working on that confidence and feeling worthy. Yeah. I feel like I was very lacking in that. I very much had, I call it the excuse me, sorry mentality or like (laughs) the like, 
oh, thank you. Oh, like anybody who would play with me, I would just feel like, oh my gosh, even even if I'm like on their same level, I'm not worthy or whatever. I just had all these, you know, lesser than mentalities, which bleeds into music as well as money, Mm -hmm. believing I'm not deserving to be, you know, you know, I'm not deserving in that I shouldn't, I don't deserve to get paid X amount or I don't deserve to be playing with these people or whatever. Or yeah, that just, I'm not good enough no matter what it was. So I will say that's really what's affected both of those things after like doing all this work on myself. So you mentioned that you do a lot of teaching. So let's go down the rabbit hole of what that looks like. Maybe take us through like when you first started teaching, what did that look like? How has that evolved? Mm -hmm. And where are you at now with it? But then also, you know, we can talk about our thoughts on teaching and, you know, what it really looks like. During college or post-college, my first teaching job, I would say that it's like a lower, you know, lower level, lower paying. Um, But no matter what, teaching is a grind, no matter which level you're at. So at the beginning, I I was really thankful to get it because that's what got me out of waiting tables. So Mm -hmm. I felt like I did have that satisfaction of, oh, thank God I'm doing like a music thing. I'm not like getting yelled at over toast. (laughs) This is nice. (laughs) You know, (laughs) instead I'm getting yelled at over whatever scales and makeup lessons, but whatever. Um, So I did feel really positive about it. So um, from there, you know, I left that particular school, just like, you know, kind of moving up the ladder, you know, that was like a lower end school, Um, went to a better situation that was like closer to me. So I did feel good about that. And then from there, I moved to another one that just paid a little bit more. So that's where I'm at now. And then I also, within that time frame, built up my own private studio where I drive to teach lessons in the home. And that's obviously the most high paying that you're going to get because there's no in between. So I will say, quite honestly, it feels better to get paid the most, right? So that's Mm going to be the nicest one. But that does come with its own set of things and that you book yourself. You have to, you need to get the parents to sign a contract so they don't, you know, pull this, you know, oh, I forgot he has a soccer game. We have to cancel today. And it's like five minutes before. You have to be the one that handles all that and make sure you don't get, you know, screwed over. So if you're not the type of person who can really hand someone a contract and really stand up for yourself, I wouldn't go that route. You might really want to be at an academy where they have someone doing that for you. Shouldn't be somebody who's just, you know, like you've said on past podcasts, it shouldn't be just a fallback plan. I really think it's being an educator is really important. It molds so much of what young musicians believe. And can you break down a little bit more numbers wise? Like, what does it look like for like, if you're just starting out, maybe you're in college or coming out of college, it's like your first teaching gig. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? I, you know, you can teach middle school, high school, college. It it depends um, mm-hmm. on if you have a master's for the college. But and this is, you know, we live in Texas, so it's different here than other places. But what's like the hourly rate for kind of the first, like if someone's considering getting into teaching? I would say if you are a college graduate with a music degree, do not take a teaching job. For less than, I don't know, I want to say, you got to be making at least like 25 an hour. Mm -hmm. And you can learn music without going to school, but you went to school, so you've got 
so many more skill sets. Like for my lessons, I will transcribe pop songs and reduce them for a piano. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's something nobody can do that unless you've been to school. So mm-hmm. I would say you need to be at least 25 an hour. At least this is, again, we're talking, you know, Texas economy. So I don't know if that's different. I can only speak to that, right? We're only. And that's at like here. an academy where they're taking care of the administration, yeah. and booking lessons and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, well, you know, for the most part, every you're going to be 1099. So private contractor. And then. uh. Just to throw it in there, like for private lessons, I, this is kind of how I think about it. I look at what the academies are charging and you can look up their rates and I would charge a little more than that mm-hmm. because you are driving out there, you know, so that should be a premium. What are your thoughts on the starving artist stigma? You know, I listened to that episode you had with Brie recently and you guys touched on this topic. And I really liked what she had to say in that she thinks, you know, sometimes musicians will play the martyr and that it's kind of like a coveted thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I am hustling it out for my dream. And I, to be put it plainly, I think it, the starving artist stigma is crap. <laughs> like, I think like... <laughs> Like we've talked about so many times, like, especially now that I'm on this movement of like respecting myself and like my work and my worth, like, I don't want to see any of my colleagues or friends or anyone in the industry just not, you know, showing their worth and not like getting what they deserve. Yeah. You know, now I will say they're you have to take yourself seriously. So if you are going to charge like, you know, a, what you are worth, then you, that has to come with like, you are professional and all the other regards. Like you take everything you're doing seriously. It can't be, you know, you're charging a grand for a gig and you show up five minutes before downbeat <laughs> and you don't have all your gear and you have to run to guitar center. Cause like, Oh crap, you forgot. Like it can't be that. Yeah. So I think it, it takes a thriving musician to break that. So, yeah, I think the starving artist stigma, and I, I understood that a little bit too, because like I, there was a time where I was like, yeah, because it's ties to money as well. Like, oh, it's okay that I'm like broke because everybody else is having a hard time. So we're all sharing in that experience. <laughs> and it's, you know. We're just all part of it together, but it's, we don't need to do that. You have one life, like respect yourself, respect your craft and get paid. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. (laughs) So many of you have heard me say this on previous podcasts, but Jordan and I have been talking about this for a while now. For me personally, I've been trying to separate money and music and mainly in in terms of income and not having to rely on making music for my income and my livelihood and freeing up this space to create music and art because I want to, with who I want to, when I want to, and, you know, maybe trying again with creating my original music and all that stuff and going for it but having the financial stability already set up underneath versus at first it was with my first album 
you know, I spent all the money I had on this album and I put it all out there and tried to go for it. And it was fun. But in the end, I had no like bed to sleep on, so to speak. So I felt like there was a bit of a, a dead end, even if it worked. I, st- I, mean, I still had no savings. I, like for some of you who've heard, read my story, and when I hit rock bottom, I didn't have anything. And that was after mm-hmm. having an album and stuff. So what are your thoughts on creating your art, knowing that your income and livelihood depend on it? Or not? I think it's very subjective on like what stage you're at. You know, a lot of these artists you hear, it's a decade before you really see income. And that's just, you have to be real with it. You know, we've, you know, we read articles like, you know, I, I read this article that talked about Philip Glass, the famous classical pianist. He was a plumber while he was doing that, while he was playing these huge concert halls and his music was known around the world and he talks about it in a really great way he said you know you need to live life to create art so that was kind of he was you know that was his daily life you know he it really helped facilitate his art in in that like he was in like a normal lifestyle and doing like a regular job And it actually heightened his art, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you're all you're doing is just like you're just in the practice room all the day and you're not really, you know, getting out and like living. Not that you can't do that by playing music, but I just mean that he was saying that it was it aided him in a lot of ways. I think it allowed him to not have the stress uh, breathing down his neck and his art about money like, oh, I can't. You know, I can't even, you won't even feel like playing. That's how I felt. You know, I had similar to you. I put like recorded my album, spent all my money on it, saved, and then went on this tour. It was like a week long tour that was like really stressful for me. And I felt so depleted after that experience that I almost, I really felt like I wanted to quit and just not do it because it was so stressful to me. And I hugely, that was a financial burden that was a huge reason why so i really kind of have taken a bit of a break from like going full-fledged into my original like artist career because of that experience i just felt so much pressure from you know well put on myself and just financial pressure to like make sure my band was getting paid but also that i wasn't like in the super negatives and like because it was you know really you're investing everything you Mm -hmm. have into it So my thoughts on it, at least personally at this point, I really do want to have more of a balance and take my time in putting out the album, like both for financial reasons and for like mental health reasons. And I do think it's a real positive thing to have income drawn from elsewhere. And for myself personally, who is someone that, you know, like I said, with teaching, I don't want to write after. I teach. I don't want to write before I have to go to teach. I don't feel creative if I have to teach that day. And for me, that's a problem, you know? But, you know, if I have, you know, for people who would have a a job that's in a different arena, but maybe you're still interested. And I really think that for me personally, that will be a way more positive experience 
because then I'll feel more energized, ready to wanting to work on my stuff. So it is really hard to make a living being an artist, especially right now because of, you know, streaming, all the guys. If you look up, so many people are saying that in the industry, like, it's real tough. That's why you see artists coming out and being like, oh, reunion tour, like, you know, when they're 70 because they aren't making money. You know, mm-hmm. it's just really, really tough, even for the people at the top. So I think it, putting that expectation on yourself is really detrimental because not only are you going to feel, oh, I'm broke. And then you're also going to feel, oh, I failed. Yeah. Because you're like, at least that's how I felt, you know. Yeah. I felt like I wasted all my money, or not wasted, but I just used all of my money, and it just nothing felt good. I didn't feel good about any of it. Even when I went to perform under those circumstances, you feel horrible. You can't get into the music. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in the previous episode, I think episode 29, I talked to Randy Cherko, and he's talking about all these different sources of income for musicians, and he said something really cool. It kind of relates to this, both of us doing these albums, putting all our money into it. And it's kind of the opposite of what he was recommending in he recommended taking making little bets, making a bunch of little bets. So he was kind of talking about things to sell, like maybe some stickers, maybe a shirt, little little small things, trying it out, seeing what works. And spending just as little money as possible on these things and seeing what works and get rid of, getting rid of what doesn't and avoiding those big bets. Well, doing an album, spending, you know, who knows, 10 grand. I don't know what the cost is now. You can do a lot of stuff from home, but it still costs a lot to do this stuff. And people do Kickstarters and they need thousands of dollars to tour and all these things. You're making a big bet mm-hmm. and it could it could work. But there are other ways to make little bets and work up to that Mm -hmm. big bet over time. And so, you know, we learn from all of our experiences. It was a, in the end, it's a positive thing because now we move forward having gone through those experiences. Mm -hmm. But when you said that about the album thing, it's like, that was a big bet. Mm -hmm. So what are some resources you would recommend to work on your confidence? You mentioned mental health and feeling more worthy in valuing yourself? Step one, find a therapist. (laughs) I would actually say that to everyone, even if you feel like, no, you're cool. Like, no, you don't go through life unscathed. So I think everyone should be, at least at some point in your life, especially after college, counseling was super helpful to me. And I, but I will say it was really hard to find a good one. It's kind of like dating. I felt like (laughs) I went through a couple of really, weird not good experiences with counseling so i'm gonna throw that out there too it's not easy to find a good one that matches so i would say that was hugely helpful um also just honestly that's like the main resource other than that i will say there's this book uh and actually Bri had mentioned the other book that she wrote um the it's called you're a badass and it's just kind of, I call it a woo-woo book. It's like very, you know, uh, empowering and a lot of books are like it. But for whatever reason, this one just resonated with me. She talks a lot about the universe and that's something I identify with because I don't find myself religious, but I do like that idea of the universe. Like it's this energy, a collective energy source that's like on your side and wants you to do well in life. So that was really helpful for me. 
Can you talk about being a female musician and some of the struggles you've faced over the years? Yeah, totally. There's, I mean, there's a lot. Um, the biggest thing, the o- biggest overarching thing is just being second guessed and not taken seriously. That's the biggest thing. And I feel like I've always overcompensated or like feel like I have to have my crap together four times fold just to be get it just to get at that normal baseline level of respect. Also the experience of, you know, being a female vocalist that comes with this other, you know, other things that you have to deal with just in that you're people I, I some I did cover band for a little bit and it just really really turned me off because uh audience members would just picture you in a certain way and they don't take you seriously it's like you're an entertainer and you're expected to like you have to wear heels you have to like look a certain way you have to like act a certain way which i don't think is put on male vocalists at all the most glaring experience i had in college was when they brought in a vocalist that I really held in high regard and was really inspired by, and I got to sing for his master class. And I watched as he gave an awesome lesson to one of my female, sorry, one of my male colleagues. And it was just some super cool technique stuff that I even still use to this day. And then I got up there, and the first thing he tells me is just, to not wear glasses, that I'm like beautiful girl and I shouldn't wear glasses. And I need them. Let's just go ahead and say that. I was in college, couldn't afford contacts. Like, what do you want me to freaking do? <laughs> um, and the lesson was, I mean, it was just nowhere near what he gave the other, the other uh, vocalist. Now, I don't want to go out and say that I don't think any of this stuff is like outright and intentional and anybody knows that they're doing it in the moment. But it's just systematic. It's yeah, just it kind happens. of, yeah, it's just kind of what happens. But after that moment, I was really, really like shot down. I felt like I was just, I was real upset about it, mm-hmm. especially because it was someone that I just like pedestaled a little bit that I just felt really disrespected, you know, in front of a lot of people. And it was just, nah. So for somebody who's going out there doing these gigs, dealing with the same struggles, what can they do to start? feeling better about when those moments happen and maybe some things that they can do to respond in the right way mm-hmm. and also to educate people. It's really hard to just be on your game all the time. So you can't, you can't swat every comment. You can't patrol every single thing. Like it's going to happen. And so for me, sometimes I just think in the moment, how worth it, how worth it would it be to deal with this right now? Mm-hmm. And do I have time for it? Yeah. Or like if it's somebody that I think that I want to work with and I want a working relationship and there's going to be repeat, you know, things I will, I'll say something or, you know, let it be known. But for the most part, I haven't had to deal with that with many colleagues that I work with. Again, you can control only how you react to something. You can't control what other people are going to do. I can't make people change overnight. There's going to be that old dude who says sweetheart something or rather and says something like 
this is just annoying. And I just try at this point to let it brush off my back and not really think about it too much. But when there are those opportunities that I feel like I have the time for it, you know, you say something. Mm-hmm. So I guess my advice is don't feel the need to educate everybody all the time because that's also exhausting. <laughs> yeah. So you've had some health issues in the past. And I remember specifically, it seemed like you overworked your voice in college and that mm-hmm. led to a lot of problems. Can you talk about that experience? Absolutely. This was a real pivotal moment for me. It was my senior year of college. And again, like I said before, I was waiting tables and that you talk the whole time. You know, I'm talking the whole time. I'm yelling over the kitchen. I'm doing all these things. I was waiting tables like breakfast place. So early morning shifts on the weekends, like and also I wasn't not hanging really late. (laughs) You know, they say, you know, you want to be making the hang when you're in school because you're trying to build the network. So I wasn't sacrificing that. So I was practicing five hours a day, staying out late and then waiting tables. So my voice just got shot and I developed not a full blown polyp, but the makings of one. So for people who don't know, you can have vocal nodes and those usually come in twos, like one on each side. For me, it was just overuse. So I had a polyp, which is kind of like a almost like a blister on one of my vocal cords. And it just made me lose my voice really quickly. And I went and got it checked out. And it was so bad that I had to be put on steroids. And I was on vocal rest, no talking at all for a full week. And for a vocalist who's in the middle of their degree, it was like really traumatizing. And I was also trying to do my senior recital. Thankfully, by that point, I got well enough to do my recital. But it was really scary for me. And it just really reminded me of how fragile our instruments are. And it would also really piss me off when I would see singers smoking. Like, I don't want to say no shade, like shade. All the shade to singers who smoke. Sorry. I'm sure I love you. But like, I think that is BS and pisses me off, really does. Because I'm not a person who ever smoked. You know, like I said, it's not like I was being super kind to my voice because I was staying out late and doing all the things. Yeah, it was super hard. And then you struggled like I considered and I still have this issue, I would say, where my whole identity is wrapped up in the fact that I'm a vocalist. Yeah. Like I said, ever since I was like six, I was singing and I'm I'm a singer. I'm going to be a singer. Like, so how to have that scare was just like. Awful. And especially when I'm about to graduate, like I'm never, I was in my mind, I'm like, I'm never going to sing again. I can't have a career in music. I literally was like, I'm going to just have to quit after this because I, it was just horrible. And, you know, that hasn't happened, but it has changed whether or not I do four hour gigs. And the answer is no. Right. (laughs) Like if I'm the only vocalist, nope. Um, Whether or not, like, and if I do, like, you know, I had a gig yesterday, like if I do have a gig that is lengthier, I'm not, I'm going to try to rest my voice as much as possible. And like when I got home from my gig last night, I didn't speak the rest of the night because I had stuff the next day, a church gig and all that. So it's affected a lot of things, but it also, you know, is healthier because I don't think we should be doing four hour gigs. Yeah. I think that's also BS. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's so much. It's such an active thing and voices are sensitive. Yeah. 
that's really important for all of you vocalists to consider. Do you do certain um, exercises or what do you do to help keep your voice healthy? So I did forget to mention after throughout this whole process, I did go to speech therapy and that was really helpful. So generally I would be speaking way too low in my register. And when I talk to my students, I call it, it's like that chill voice. Like you feel like, and I, I have like a hunch and there's no science backed behind this, but I feel like it, I subconsciously wanted to speak lower to be accepted more in the male dominated space. Wow. I really think that that was something for me. And also like how I've read other things, you know, the female voice, higher voices are considered, you know, to be annoying sometimes or Mm -hmm. uh, just not taken as seriously, like the pitch frequency. So I was speaking too low in my register. So I went to literally my voice was effed. And I was on steroids. I couldn't speak. And then I had to learn to re-speak. Right. <laughs> so it was like a whole process. So uh, certain things that I do, uh, steaming. I think every vocalist should have a really good steamer. And that is because steam is the quickest way to hydrate your vocal cords. You know, I tell my students, like, you drinking water right before you get to lessons does nothing. Because it takes at least, like... 30 minutes for your vocal cords to be hydrated from that water it has to go through your whole body. So steam is the quickest way. So having a good steamer is really important. And I think warming up to what you're going to sing is really important. Cause so if you're going to have a crazy cover band pop gig where you're singing stupid freaking love on top, you better warm up all the way up to those a flats. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you got to warm up to where you actually have to be that night, but not overdo it. You know, because then you do actually have to do the gig. So, right. And sleep, you know, for us, getting a proper amount of sleep is really, really important. So, the music industry is a perception game for the most part. Yeah. I don't like to play in it anymore. I did when I was younger and I guess naive. And we know people who still play it. Some people feel the need that they have to. Uh, And this starts to get into self-worth and identity and all that stuff. And we've talked about using your personal name versus an artist's name. Yeah. And there's so much to go into this rabbit hole of the perception game of the music industry. What are your thoughts on that generally? Uh, I think it sucks and it's really hard to navigate. Yeah. (laughs) I know we've talked about like... We'll say Instagram's like the most poppin' one right now. So like Instagram in that it's like really detrimental. It's basically like everybody has access to their own like magazine of themselves. Like you get to like, it's just like an online magazine that everyone gets to do of their own self. (laughs) That's what it is. It's like everybody's marketing. Even if you're not like actually marketing a business or something, you're just like marketing that you're happy or like marketing yeah. that like you're got everything going on and you know the highlights yeah just it's all a highlight reel but i feel better now that i'm like that's what it is like this is just a highlight reel nobody is at the beach every damn day like <laughs> sorry like that's just not true so i think emotionally if everybody can get on board with this is like you're subscribing to everybody's you know, best self or they're curate. Everybody's curating everything. Yeah. You know, so none of that is super true. It's like one eighth of the truth of their life. 
<laughs> you know? So, but in regards to like the music industry, it, it ties into the whole marketing thing, which I really did take issue with for a really long time. And I think at UNT, this was kind of one of the negative points of it in that like if you market you're like selling out like if you throw up a poster what a sellout <laughs> like if you you know what i mean at least that's kind of the general vibe i felt when i was there i think it's changed a bit um so the unfortunate truth it's like yes it's perception based and honestly like i think that like it is you know the music like we've said has to be there but I would say like it's like 70, 30, 70% like marketing and like how well you do that and 30% like the music. You know what I mean? Like it has to be good, but like yeah. where we're at now, there's so much people making music, so many people making music. Everybody can make music at home now. It's so accessible. Like it's everybody's oversaturated. So you need to figure out it's like there are other ways to get your music up there and that's something i've grappled with because i didn't want to do any of that stuff it didn't make me feel good mm-hmm. um but it's something that we have to grasp the way that i have most healthily thought about it is i think about like my favorite artists like radiohead and becca stevens and you know people like that like they have all had to market they've all you know they have a brand everybody has a brand whether you care or not, like whether or not like you sell your CDs in a trash bag or like a really nice like gift bag, that's both our branding. Mm-hmm. Like it's the I don't give a crap brand versus the I give lots of craps brand. Like everything <laughs> says something. And I think I'm trying to think of it as a creative extension. Like I think that's a healthier way of thinking about it. Yeah. And I think as long as you come from it in that point. It's just, it's just going to come across a lot better. It's going to feel more authentic. So I think for those, if you're just like posting for likes or just posting for, I don't know, just to keep up appearances, it's not going to go well. People notice that. Yeah. What about being rich and famous? Or rather famous. Being rich is fine. Being wealthy is okay. Uh, oh, I, what I about being famous? Ooh, I have like, I do not want that. Like, I have a fear of that. And not to be like, oh, my God, like, I'm so scared to be famous. Like, I'm totally going to be famous. Like, that's not what I mean. I just mean that <laughs> that is something that has also held me back from that stuff. But, you know, my dad has said this to me. Like, you have to try your ass off to be famous. <laughs> like, Beyonce is not who she is, but not working her ass off and, like, literally giving up her whole childhood. So it takes a lot to get to that crazy point. But I don't think it's healthy, and I do not think it's for everybody. I think it to imagine a lifestyle where everybody feels like they have the right to your life and access to your personal everything yeah. is terrible to me. I don't like that at all. Like, yeah. I agree. If you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, what would that be? I would say take yourself and your music seriously and respect what you do and do what you can to respect other people as well because that's going to come back to you where can listeners get to know you and or get in touch with you um they could email me at jordan coughing music at gmail.com 
I also have website, jordancoffing.com, and my um, artist website, if you're wanting to check that out, is ruemusic.com, R-H-U music.com. Wonderful. So this was an interesting experience. It's, uh, I don't know if anyone listening has had this experience of interviewing their significant other on a podcast in really hot conditions. Like we said earlier, the AC has been off for like an hour now. And, but I hope that this was helpful and gave you some, a little bit of an insight. Yeah, I hope so too. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you find it valuable, feel free to share with a thriving musician and, or better yet, leave a review on iTunes. I hope that this was helpful and I hope y'all have a great day. Keep thriving. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of financial and creative freedom? Check out the leading financial blog for musicians at spencerlist.com, where Spencer covers the latest trends and financial strategies. And by signing up for the Thriving Musician newsletter, you can earn exclusive member content and discounts. Get it all at www.spencerlist.com. If you would like to nominate a thriving musician for an interview on the podcast, request Spencer to speak at your school or event, or want to submit questions or comments, please send an email to spencer at spencerlist.com and keep thriving. 